Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, kids can head to worship. Appreciate those who do our children's worship. Give it up for those guys. They're back there serving, helping out. Appreciate them. All right. Well, I'm excited to have the privilege to preach with you this morning as we end this decade and begin a new one. Well, how many of you are ready for 2020? Yeah. All right. I'm not going to ask. Who remembers the Roaring Twenties? Oh, yeah, I, I think there's all kinds of parties and stuff going back, kind of bringing back that theme. It's crazy that in two more days, this new decade will be here. I'm not sure what it means for some of you, but for me, it means that I will be 60 years old on June 16th. I will be celebrating 19 years of serving at this church. That's a long time. It's hard to believe how much I still enjoy being a youth pastor. Might be one of the oldest ones, but not quite which, as many of you know, is my primary area of ministry, and I'm so appreciative to still be doing what I love. This new decade means that I'll be celebrating 37 years of marriage to my wonderful wife, Pam, who's I'm very grateful for as she's put up with me all of these years. She's been right there beside me through ministry, all the teaching years and all kinds of things we've gone through. Because of these many years of marriage, we've had the privilege of raising seven children, five girls, two boys, watching them mature into godly men and women who love the Lord and serving Him. That I am blessed completely. This year, Destiny, our last child, yes, will be graduating from high school, Lord willing. I'll have the privilege of walking Bethany down the aisle for her wedding to her fiancé, Chris Smith, who planned to be married in May. That happened last Sunday. After this wedding, five of our seven children will be married. Coming here in 2001, it's crazy to believe all the changes. Now, with all these marriages, this all means that Pam and I get the joy of having eight grandchildren as part of our lives. With all this talk of grandchildren and children, I can tell you that they have been so adorable and loving. But sometimes, as cute as they are, they can be very selfish. It's interesting to notice that you don't have to teach a child to be selfish, do you? I know this firsthand. Without even having to try to teach them, children just seem to naturally learn two words before most of any others. No and mine. Listen to the preschool property laws that testify to this. Some of you who work with preschoolers remember these days. If I like it, it's mine. If it's in my hand, it's mine. If I can take it from you, it's mine. If I had it a little while ago, it's mine. If it's mine, I must never, it must never appear to be yours in any way. If I'm doing or building something, all the pieces are mine. If it looks just like mine, it's mine. If I think it's mine, it's mine. And if I saw it first or last, it makes no difference. It's still mine. Y'all remember that? The fact is we're naturally selfish as human beings, and God's Word tells us this as an indication of our sinful nature. In fact, the choice that Adam and Eve made have plunged the entire human race under condemnation of sin. It was a choice that said, I can be like God. And from that day until now, people have basically lived by the motto of, I can do my own thing, be my own boss, and look out for number one. For the most part, 
we all still live as preschoolers, wanting our own way, living selfishly. Consequently, our world is a mess when you say it needs, it is desperate in need of hope. Having said this, I'd like to share an illustration with you. A small child gazed up into the eyes of his father and asked, Dad, what is a Christian? To this question, the father replied, A Christian is a person who loves and obeys God. He loves his friends and neighbors and even his enemies. He prays often, is kind and gentle, holy, and more interested in going to heaven than in earthly riches. That son is a Christian. The boy looked reflective for a moment, then asked, Have I ever seen one? Wow. The father gave a reasonably good answer to his son, didn't he? He emphasized the love of God, love of others, even enemies for those who hurt us. He also emphasized communication with the Father, seeking first the kingdom of heaven, displaying the fruit of the Spirit in a person's life. It wasn't a bad answer, but imagine how shocked the Father was when the Son asked if he'd actually ever seen such a person. He didn't even recognize that his Father was a Christian. Is it possible that we can sometimes talk a good talk, but a walk, a poor walk? We might be able to tell others what a Christian is. We may even profess to be a Christian. But are we showing others Christ as we live our lives, or are we showing selfishness as that preschooler? If someone were to come up to you and ask you for a description of a Christian, would you tell them, or would you actually show them? Would others be able to see hope that you have as a Christian? Is your hope where it's supposed to be? Even Jason mentioned hope at the Lord's Supper table. I've titled this message, A New Year, A New Decade, Three Hopes of a Believer. You see, a believer has hope because of the love of the Father. A believer has hope at becoming more like Christ. And a believer has hope that is characterized by purity. As we begin this new year, this new decade, it's my desire for you to evaluate where your hope is and where it should be as you begin the year 2020. Pray with me at this time. Father God, thank you so much for the opportunity to come this morning just to share the truth of your word. God, I just pray that... uh, Whatever shared, God, that people will hear the truth of your word. It's your word, God, that breathes life, that saves, God, that changes our hearts, that changes, that breaks our heart of, of stone, and God molds us. So, God, just, uh, just give me the strength. Just pray that uh, people will see you, Jesus, as your word is preached and not me. In Jesus' name, amen. So this passage of Scripture we're going to look at this morning is from 1 John 3, 1, 2, and 3. Most scholars believe that the Apostle John, one of Jesus' 12 disciples, actually wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, along with the Gospel of John, which many of us are familiar with, and the book of Revelation. John was probably in his late 80s or early 90s, can you believe that, living in Ephesus, and he spoke with great authority. Just like people listen to John in his old age, I know for me that when an older person, like Pastor Ron, shared spiritual truth, I would also listen and pay attention to what he said. Yes, I do miss him. 1 John is known as a general letter, which means that it was not sent to one congregation, but was distributed to other believers. John speaks with tenderness as he refers to his readers as little children. You'll notice this over and over again if you happen to take a look and read this short book. He's reminding believers, children of God, that they can be certain that the truths of Christianity their faith, and be confident in their relationship with Christ and, the, and to know the hope that he brings. So please stand with me as I read our passage for today from 1 John 3, 1, 2, and 3. Hopefully you've found it. It's from the ESV. 
See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. You may have a seat. Thank you. So the first point of the message is, a believer has hope because of the love of the Father. A believer has hope because of the love of the Father. Verse 1 said, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. See, the children of God spoken of in this verse is referring to those that have been born of God meaning those who practice righteousness that was talked about actually in 1 John 2, 29. The righteousness begins by faith and ends in love. The reason that we are told to see what kind of love the Father has given to us is the word see. It is for us to sense with amazement or marvel at the great love that God has given us as believers. That's what it's talking about here. There are so many words for love in the Bible but this love is agape. It's the highest form of love. It's not like I love pizza or I love this or that or the weather outside. But it's a sacrificial love. It's not an emotion but a decision. It's actually an act of the will. Let me share with you a personal story. Some of you may know this. Some of you may not. It was February 14, 1983. Pam and I actually had broken up for about three weeks. But when I'd woken up that Valentine morning ready to ask Pam to marry me, so, while at school, I was teaching high school. Uh, as I was teaching, I bought some special I Love You balloons and some red carnations that students were selling that day at the school. She had a good friend of ours help her with the meal, as she really didn't cook that often, ramen noodles or ramen noodles, however you call it. And so, well, after we ate dinner, Pam went to the kitchen to wash some of the dishes for a moment, and it was then that I went to set up a record. How many of you know what a record is? I think they're kind of coming back, right? Those vinyl things. All right, which we had back then. And there was a song that was special to me called I've Waited a Lifetime. After the song played, I gave a jar to Pam that had a B on top of it, and it said, Be Mine. As Pam opened the jar of red and white jelly beans, she found the ring I had bought her. It was then that I got down on one knee and proposed to her, and she said yes. Wow, what a change in life. My love for Pam is the agape love. It is unconditional my love for Pam, though, is nothing compared to God's love for you. As a believer, your Heavenly Father has given you an out-of-this-world love, the wonderful, the whole wonderful plan of salvation. It begins with God. While you were His enemy, God loved you, and He sent His Son to die for you. His love is so great that because of your salvation, you're now related to the One who is the divine creator of the universe, and we can call him Father. Isn't that cool? We can call him Father because of that. As a believer, you're a child of God. We use that sometimes flippantly, but we are that child of God for those who've received Christ. We've received a new nature, a godly nature, and one that uh, all believers have and are building as we're called this children of God. There's no way that you can expect the world to understand this exciting relationship. They just don't get it because the world really doesn't understand God like we do. We can only love with the love that he's given us. This love and resulting sonship, it's really foreign to the world. Only a person who knows God through Christ can appreciate what it means to be called a child of God. It's a wonderful, awesome gift of sonship. 
Unfortunately, it's easy to become accustomed to expecting God's love that we no longer stand in awe before it. We just kind of get flippant about it. In fact, we take it for granted. If that is you, then ask God to help you to stand in awe of him again. Don't think of it as something that God owes you. Listen to this next illustration. Yes, I did do this. Have you ever made a decision whether or not someone loves you by the flower petal test? I remember doing it when I was in elementary school in fourth grade. It was Ann Limper. That was her name. A girl that I had a crush on. She sat near me, and I watched her pull the petals off a flower saying, He loves me. He loves me not. Also remember the look when she pulled the last petal off, and she said, He loves me not. Mm, Not good. Now, this is not a reliable gauge of someone's love for you, right? Hopefully not. What if we did that with God and his love for us? He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. Not good. There's a much better and more reliable way to know God's love for you. It's in considering the love and all that he's actually done for you as a believer. And if there's still any doubt, think about what he did to save you. Look at Romans 5.8, or I will share it with you. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That was the love that he died for us, that we sang about. As a believer, you can be confident of God's unfailing love because he's proven it beyond all question by giving his son to die on the cross for you and for me. You've been reborn into the family of God, and as his child, you're a recipient of the Father's love. This amazing love, he's made you a child of the king. We sang about the king of kings. We're his child. We're royalty. Let's see how you can apply this verse to your life today and my life. As a believer, do you realize that the hope you truly have as a believer because of the love of your heavenly father, do you actually realize the hope you have because of the love of your heavenly father? Have you, as a believer, stopped being in awe of God and his love for you? Have you just kind of got caught up in all the things of the world and busyness of life, distractions? If you no longer stand in awe of the love the Father has for you, what needs to happen in your life to regain that sense of awe? What needs to change? What do you need to reorient? Uh, what do you need to reorganize and shift for that to happen? So as a believer has hope because of the love of the Father, that's what we have. This brings us to the second hope. A believer has hope at becoming more like Christ. A believer has hope at becoming more like Christ. We see this in verse 2, 1 John 3. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. You see, the emphasis in verse 2 is what a believer will be in the future as a child of God. That's an awesome thing to look forward to. This reference here is to the time of Christ's coming for his church, the bride, true believers. Having spoken of our present, present dignity as children of God, John now speaks of our future destiny. Remember, Pastor Mark's talked about heaven coming down, what an awesome time that will be. That's from the book of Revelation. By the way, this coming was mentioned also in 1 John 2.28 as an incentive for us to have holy living, and it's now repeated again in this verse. The beginning of verse 2, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appears, implies to that future development, to be expected for a child to grow. Think about it this way, way back for some of us. When you were a child, your parents saw potential in you. They would look at you with hope and expectation, but didn't know how you would turn out. Some of you have so much potential opportunity, but with the way you're living, it appears you're going to throw your life away. 
Then there's some of you who don't think you'll amount to much or accomplish great things. But you're wrong. You have so much potential, you just don't see it. So it is with you as a child of God. You have that potential. You have so much. There's so much that God has for you. As you have so much potential, you'll continue to grow in that relationship with him, not waste your time on things of this world. I hope you'll realize this as we move into 2020. Another illustration, when I think of a moth, I think of an ugly brown gray moth that bothers me when I'm trying to watch something on TV. Notice it goes to the glowing light. There's something in a moth. There's a moth uh, in the mountain forest of India called the atlas moth. It's since dormant uh, inside a small brown bag of a cocoon, just waiting to make its entrance into the world. Then it happens. It emerges with brilliant colors, clear wings that have beautiful designs around its edges. With nine to 10 inch wingspan, one of God's beautiful wonders comes out of this ugly brown bag of a cocoon. Just like you may wonder how and why such a beautiful insect could come from a drab, dull brown cocoon, there's a much greater miracle that is coming to those of you who are truly a child of God. Enclosed by these bodies of humiliation and sin, we look for that day, yes, as we sang about, when the dead will be raised, will be incorruptible, and we will be changed. As we're told, 1 Corinthians 15, 49 through 53. I'm going to read this because it's such a great passage. Just as we have been have borne the image of the earthly, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. For now, as believers, we live in this brown bag as these earthly bodies, but not forever, praise the Lord. One day, maybe soon, we will be made perfect to complete, and we, will see, and we shall see our Savior face to face, and utter in amazement, we will be like him, because we will see him as he is. God's love for us doesn't stop though with this new birth. He continues to minister to us and transforming us into his image until the revelation of Jesus Christ causes this full extent of who he is and we are in him. Those that Christ purchased by, excuse me, by his shed blood on the cross will be perfected at his coming. And we, we sang about that blood. Have you ever been purchased by the blood of Christ? If not, then today it can be that day. Surrender to the Holy Spirit and be saved. Because it's only through that shed blood that your sins can be covered. And for this to happen in your life, repent of your sins and by faith believe that Jesus did die on the cross, that he was buried, and that he did rise again on that third day. It's only through trust in Christ alone that salvation can ever occur in your life. Then you, too, will one day get a new and perishable body and will be able to see Jesus face to face. Wow, wouldn't that be a great way to begin this new decade for some of you? Listen to this next illustration closely. Several centuries ago, the Emperor of Japan commissioned a Japanese artist to paint an exotic bird. Months passed, then years. Imagine that. Finally, the emperor went to the artist's studio to look for an explanation. The artist set a blank canvas on the easel, and in an hour, he actually completed the painting of a bird that would become a masterpiece. 
The emperor asked why there had been such a long delay. The artist then went from a cabinet to cabinet and he produced armloads of drawings of feathers and tendons and wings, feet and claws, eyes and beaks of birds, and placed them one by one before the emperor. This is how it is with us as believers. It takes time. Just like the Japanese artist took so much time to get the picture to the emperor because he was working to perfect it, the Holy Spirit takes time in the life of us as believers as he conforms us into the image of his son. This is confirmed in Philippians 1.6. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. When? At the day of Christ, Jesus Christ. Then the day will come when the emperor of all emperors will come for believers. And the completed work of Christ in our lives will flash in a moment, as our passage says. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Think about these questions and apply this passage to your life. As a believer, do you have hope that you're daily becoming more like Christ? Are you becoming more like him every day? If so, in what ways is that happening? In your walk with Christ, are you spending time in God's word daily? so that you can be more like Christ. So many of us are so deficient in starving ourselves of God's word. If not, what can you do to change that in the year 2020? Are you wasting time on things of the world instead of taking time to grow spiritually? You must have balance in all of this. If so, what can you do to have greater focus on the things of God? Do you know for sure that you're a believer and will receive this new imperishable body when Christ returns? If not, surrender to God, repent of your sin, and by faith, trust God to save you, and you too will become more like Christ. So a believer has hope because of the love of the Father. A believer has hope at becoming more like Christ. And that brings us to our third and final point. A believer has hope that is characterized by purity from verse 3. And everyone who who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. In verse 3, John teaches that the hope of Christ's return makes a practical difference in the lifestyle and behavior of believers, how we live our lives. When this hope is fixed on him, on Jesus, it produces a growing desire to become more like him now. That's put in us. Therefore, everyone who has this hope purifies or frees himself from this contamination. You see in this verse, purify means cleanliness of heart and soul and spirit, thought, word, or action. Purifies himself means that we totally surrender to God. And it's a continuous process that must take place. It's continual. I know in my own life, the purification process has been just that. It's been a process. I was saved when I was 16 years old. It was in January, actually, uh, of 1977. And uh, since that time, I've had moments of growth when obedience came easily. And I've had moments where obedience was very difficult. I deeply, though, desire to be characterized by purity, and I want to live it fully, completely surrendered, moment by moment, every day. But that's just not the way it is with my Christian walk and the way it looks sometimes. Sometimes my salvation, since my salvation, my desire to be like Christ has grown, but still that pull of sin is there. I have hope in seeing Jesus someday, though, and that hope gives me that desire to press on, to keep seeking after him as the Holy Spirit continues to work in my heart. See, our goal or hope for purity is to be pure just as Christ is pure. We're not to judge our purity based on the lives of other people. Don't get caught in that trap. But it's on Christ that we look at. He's the standard. He's the goal toward which we are able to move. God's desire is that we are conformed 
to the image of Christ. He told us that in Romans 8, 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that we might be firstborn among many brothers. See, I long to be conformed to the image of his Son. Do you? It's going to be completed when I see Christ face to face, and the same with you as a believer. The idea of purifying oneself doesn't mean that a believer can generate our own holiness or purity or sanctification. That's not what I'm talking about. It emphasizes the purifying work of the Holy Spirit doesn't take place apart from a believer's obedience and use of the means of God's saving grace. This is a typical call to believers to obey Scripture in all things because the Holy Spirit inspires a believer's hope of seeing the Lord Jesus. This, in turn, provokes the determination to be pure like Him. Then the grace of God touches the will of the believer to motivate us with action. As a believer depends more on the Holy Spirit, there is a desire to put that sin out of his or her life and to keep it out. You see, the longer you and I walk with Jesus, the more you're going to learn about him, the more you'll be impressed by him, and the more you'll long to see him. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. The more and more clearly I see and understand Jesus, the more and more I want to be like him. All this work of transformation is because the Father loved us and sent his Son to die for us so that we could be children of God. Because God loves us and lives within us, he wants us to live with him one day. Salvation from start to finish, and it's an expression of the love of God. We're saved by the grace of God, but the provision for our salvation, it originated in the love of God. We should have no desire to sin against God because we have truly experienced the love of God through salvation, and our hope is to one day see him face to face. For the application of this portion of the message, think about these questions. As a believer, do you have the hope of seeing Jesus? Do you have that hope? Does this hope cause you to be pure like Jesus? If not, what's keeping you from striving for that purity in your life? As a believer, do you want to be more and more like Jesus every day? If not, what's hindering you? Are you flipping about sin, or does the love of God move you to keep you from sinning? If that love isn't there, ask God to help you with loving him more so that you don't keep sinning. Do you remember the son who hadn't recognized Christ and his father at the beginning of the message? So when people look at you, do they recognize the hope that is in you because of Christ? Don't be like that dad. Do people see the love of the Father actually in you? How will you express that and show that to others this year? Do people notice that you're becoming more like Christ? Is there a difference? When people see you, do they see a life characterized by purity? So, do you have this hope of being like Jesus? Are you allowing the Holy Spirit to move in your life? Are you resisting, being stubborn? Ask God to show you the areas of your life where you're being resistant. Are you beginning this new decade as a believer? If not, it can change in an instant by surrendering to God in repentance and faith. Would you bow with me, please? God, thank you so much for your word. God, I thank you for the truth. And God, as we move into this time of prayer, God, I pray that as we have some time to just reflect on this past year that We'll come together in prayer at our seat or with someone or with the prayer partners that are at the front of the auditorium, the sanctuary, God. God, I pray that we will 
reflect on our lives from this message. Reflect on our lives from what, where we are, where we've journeyed through this year, and where you want us to go in the future into 2020. So God, I just pray that you'll continue to take your word and speak to our hearts through this time of prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.